Amen. All right, Providence, you guys can grab a seat. Uh, my name is Andrew McGill, and I get to serve here on staff as a pastoral resident. And it is my pleasure to be with you this morning, opening the Word of God and looking at the person and work of Jesus. This morning, we're going to be picking up right after Jesus comes back from his temptation in the, uh, in the desert and in Jerusalem. And one other thing, I want to give you all full permission if this microphone starts crackling because of my beard or other reasons, uh, I've actually instructed Gabe to keep an eye out for it. But if he misses it, just like raise your hand or something like that. Because it's been happening a lot lately, and I think it's because we all have beards who preach up here. But uh, we're not going to shave our beards because they're godly. But uh, <laughs> I just want to give you guys permission to be listening for that. And before we get into our text this morning, I would like to do a quick 30,000-foot look at what has happened in Matthew so far so we can kind of get a better understanding of everything that's going on in our passage this morning. Matthew has been preparing us for everything. There's the genealogy of Jesus in chapter 1 where we get to see that the birth of Jesus is not accidental, but it came through generations of longing and preparation. Then there's this bit about John the Baptist who is preparing the way for this long-awaited and promised king. Then there's the baptism scene where God opens up the heavens and proclaims Jesus is the eternal son of God. All of this is laying the foundation for the type of person Jesus is going to be. The promised son of God, the Messiah, the eternal king. Then the character of Jesus is tested in the wilderness where Jesus is tempted by Satan for 40 days. As Jesus comes out of this trying time, we have a pretty solid foundation for who he is going to be. Again, he's the promised son of God who is more powerful than Satan and he comes to fulfill the promises of God. He has the right pedigree, he knows his purpose, and possesses the power to fulfill the promises of God. The stage is set to fulfill what God sent him to do. We have the right man at the right time for the right job. So you might have heard that two wrongs don't make a right. You guys ever heard that? Okay. Well, this morning we're going to see that two rights actually make us right. So that's something that you can kind of hang your hat on and help you remember that. This morning we're going to see Jesus do the right thing, the right way, so he could make us right with God. Jesus did the right thing, the right way, so he could make us right with God. And this is profoundly, profoundly helpful for our souls and our church this morning because all of us are on a journey. If you're following Jesus on this journey, then your path will lead you to the abundant promises of God. But there's this temptation to do what God has prohibited, to try and get what God has promised. Here's what I mean by that. When I was growing up, my family, we would take road trips uh, pretty much anywhere, mostly Lincoln and baseball games. And I would say, are we there yet? I wanted to be wherever we were going, and I wanted to be there now. I wanted to hit the fast forward button and get there sooner. And on our journey with God, I think we ask the same question, God, am I there yet? And we find ourselves wanting to hit the fast forward button, but 
But God has us on a path for a reason. And his path leads to his perfect promises. Even when it may not make sense to us, the path that God has promised is always better. There's this temptation that arises to try and take a shortcut to get there sooner. But that shortcut does not lead to what God promised. There's only one way to the Father, and that is in Christ. We can't take shortcuts. We can't speed it up or slow it down. We can't do what God has prohibited to get what God has promised. But Providence, there's good news this morning. On our journey, we are actually following Jesus, who has gone before us. We get to walk in his footsteps so we can be right with God. Jesus did the right thing the right way. He didn't take shortcuts. And he did it so that we can be right with God. So I have two points from our text this morning. The first point is the right thing. The second is the right way. Jesus did the right thing, the right way, so that we can be right with God. Let me pray and we'll dive into our text. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you gave us Jesus, who did things the right way. He did the right thing the right way. And we get to follow in his footsteps, not blazing our own path to try and reach you or or trying to rely on our own goodness or our own terribleness or whatever it is, but you've actually given us the personal work of Jesus, your son, who is more powerful than Satan, who is more powerful than anything. And we're just so grateful that he has provided a way to be in your perfect promises. So, Lord, we pray this morning, uh, would you just guide our time, would you guide our hearts, would you guide my words, and would we... Uh, just marvel at who you are and what you have done. Uh, Lord, be with us in the name of Jesus. Amen. So look, at, look with me at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. It says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. My first point is the right I titled it The Right Thing because Jesus simply does the right thing by withdrawing to Galilee. In our text, it says John the Baptist gets arrested. And later in Matthew, we find that John the Baptist is arrested because he was actually calling out the king over Judah at that time. He was messing with the political powers at hand. And there was this king, King Herod, and he was this kind of puppet king of Jerusalem who was placed there by uh, by the Romans. It would be kind of like Washington, D.C., choosing the ruler of Nebraska. That's kind of what was going on here. But this Herod, who was king over Jerusalem, was the chief oppressor of the Jewish people. And he was also caught up, uh, he also got caught up in doing some shady stuff. So, meanwhile, while that's going on, there's this renegade, John the Baptist, who's gaining a lot of popularity among the Jewish people. And Herod saw this, and he feared that there was this rebellion that was actually going to start coming because of John the Baptist. And Herod actually had good reason to fear this rebellion because John the Baptist was actually calling for a revolution. So in order to suppress this revolution and rebellion, King Herod unjustly arrests John the Baptist. 
But if you remember back to the baptism of Jesus, John the Baptist says something like, wait, no, Jesus, I should actually be baptized by you. And that's kind of like John the Baptist saying, Jesus, you should actually be the leader of this revolution, not me. So with John the Baptist now in prison, back to our present day, back to our passage, now with John the Baptist in prison, Jesus would have been seen as a possible next leader for this revolution. And so Jesus recognizes this political turmoil that surrounds him, and he executes a tactical retreat to Capernaum in Galilee. He had stayed in Nazareth, had he stayed in Nazareth and around Ju- Jerusalem, Jesus would likely have met the same fate as John the Baptist. However, Jesus knew that his time wasn't right. Eventually, Jesus would be arrested and executed on the cross, and that is what he ultimately came to do. But now, at this point in our story, now wasn't the time. Jesus wasn't going to hit the fast forward button to speed up what he was sent to do. So he did the right thing. And the right thing in this situation was to withdraw to Capernaum. Now, if I were Jesus, which I totally am not, and this illustration will absolutely prove that, but if I were Jesus, I would have seen the arrest of John the Baptist as an opportunity for my time to shine. The followers of John the Baptist would have been outraged that their leader had been imprisoned, but they were, and they were probably looking for the next leader to lead them. And they were angry and they were outraged, which would have meant that they were ready to do anything. The Jewish people wanted the Roman influence out of their land. The Romans were cruel. They forced the Jews to pay these absorbent taxes at the threat of being beaten. And it was brutal. But the Jews weren't powerful enough on their own to be able to do anything about it. It would be like the Cornhuskers trying to beat the Kansas City Chiefs just would not go well. But the Jews had a ray of hope in this Messiah that God had promised. He promised to send him hundreds of years before. This Messiah would deliver them from the oppression and make all the wrong things right again. And that is exactly who Jesus is and what he came to do. So why didn't Jesus just come out of the desert, rally the people of Israel, and do what he was sent to do right then and there? Well, the reason is because Jesus, yeah, he was going to start a revolution, but it wasn't against the Roman Empire that he was starting a revolution against. Jesus was going to start a revolution against sin, death, and darkness. And marching into Jerusalem to overthrow the oppressive Roman rulers might have lifted the darkness of the Roman Empire in Jerusalem. But Jesus came to lift the darkness of the whole world. Jesus did the right thing by fulfilling what God sent him to do. And he didn't fast forward through the journey. He did the right thing. This is how this has played out in my life. 
around May of uh, this last year, the advisory team here at Providence uh, sat me down and told me, McGill, we think that the Lord might be preparing you for something beyond Providence. We're not necessarily sure what that is, and we want to carve out the next few months for you to pray and prepare for what God has for you next. So the past few months, I've been on this journey with the Lord to see what he might be calling my wife Maddie and I into. Back in May, when I initially heard all this information, I wanted nothing more than to fast forward through this journey. I wanted to be wherever God was calling me next. If I was going to end up somewhere other than Providence, then let's quit waiting around and let's just get there already. I don't want to do the hard work of preparation. I didn't want to go on a road trip with God. I wanted him to teleport me to the next destination. In all of that, though, I knew that I needed to trust God. But I didn't know what God was preparing me to do. And all my cards on the table, I still have no idea where the Lord is calling me. But over these past few months, God has had me on a journey. He has been preparing me. And as I've asked him what, ha what is to come next, you want to know what he keeps telling me? He keeps telling me, I want you to be faithful with what is in front of you. In other words, he's saying, I want you to do the right thing. And then I look to Jesus in this passage, and I see how Jesus walks his journey he did the right thing by leaving because it was not the father's timing that he get arrested. And so I actually get to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and trust in God's timing and do the right thing. For me, in my circumstances, that means actually not bolting out of providence to try and fast forward what God has for me next. Instead, it means remaining here, preparing, praying, and being faithful with what is in front of me. Providence, on our journey with God, there's this temptation to want to fast forward through everything. For Jesus, he knew what was going to happen to him on a hill just outside Jerusalem. He knew that his purpose was to die on a cross for our sin. But Jesus didn't hit the fast forward button. Look at our text. Jesus was on a journey, and the Father had more for him to do. Jesus didn't just come to die on a cross. He came to show us how to do the right thing. And I think for us this morning, it is good for us to recognize that we too are on a journey. The journey we are on doesn't have a fast-forward button. The journey we are on is to follow in Jesus' footsteps doing the right thing. But here's the good news. We follow in Jesus' footsteps doing the right thing. We aren't blazing our own path. We do the right thing not to make ourselves right with God. We follow in Jesus' footsteps because he has already made us right with God. And maybe you are like me and are at a point in your life where you keep asking, God, am I there yet? What if instead of us praying, am I there yet, we started to say and pray, Jesus, help me do the right thing. 
Jesus, help me do the right thing. And the right thing is always done the right way. Which leads me to my next point. Look back at Matthew chapter 4, picking up in verse 14. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for these dwelling in the region in, sh- uh, in shadow of death, on, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I titled my second point, The Right Way. Because not only did Jesus do the right thing by going to Capernaum in Galilee, but he went there because it was to fulfill a prophecy. And Jesus knew that his journey to the cross had to be done the right way. In his tactical retreat, Jesus fulfills this prophecy and begins preaching how to do the right thing the right way. By preaching, repent, for the kingdom of, God, uh, kingdom of heaven is at hand. So verses 15 and 16 here uh, is actually a quotation from Isaiah chapter 9. Jared read that for us this morning. And it's in this context of God promising this baby who is going to be the light in the darkness. This child was going to have this special relationship with the Gentiles. And for you guys, Gentiles are anybody who's not Jewish. And then you get this Zebulun and Naphtali. Well, they were two tribes in Israel in the northern region of the Promised Land. It was around the Sea of Galilee, and the city of Capernaum was in this area. So think of it like Zebulun and Naphtali are two states in the northern part of Israel. It'd be kind of like Minnesota and Wisconsin here, so kind of keep that in mind. And this specific region at this time was a massive massive trade route all of the world passed through this area in northern israel it was a cultural hub filled with all sorts of people from all over on one side was the mediterranean sea and on the other side was the famous silk road it's where the east met the west all of the best things in the world converged in this area but also all of the evils and darkness of the world also converged on this area. And when the Jewish people settled in this region, they were surrounded with a spiritual darkness that eventually overtook them. The people there were far from God and filled with spiritual darkness. In Isaiah chapter 9, God promises that when this promised son, Jesus, arrives, he is going to reverse the darkness in this area. The promised son is going to be a light in the darkness, not only to Israel, but to the whole world. So when Jesus does his tactical retreat to Capernaum, he's actually doing the right thing, and he's doing it the right way. Because Jesus fulfills these prophecies in the Old Testament, because he's showing us that God does things the right way. The journey Jesus is on must be done the right way. It has to be. And I think that should bring us a lot of comfort. Is anyone familiar with love languages? Got one person familiar with love languages. Is anybody familiar with love languages? Yes? Okay. Um, So there's five of them if you're not familiar with them. 
uh, my top two are quality time and words of affirmation. Okay, there are other people. So if you want to show love to a person with quality time and words of affirmation, all you have to do is sit down with me and tell me how great I am. <laughs> That's it. Uh, my wife Maddie, her top two love languages are quality time and acts of service. To make her feel loved, I just go do something for her and then go on a walk with her. It's all about doing the right thing the right way. But what happens if I do the right thing the wrong way? For example, let's say I'm doing laundry. Maddie really appreciates it when I do laundry. And it's the right thing for me to do that. But let's say I dump too much bleach in with the towels and they come out with bleach stains. This is the right thing the wrong way. And I can neither confirm nor deny if that's a true story. Or what if Maddie were to come sit next to me on the couch to spend quality time with me? That's a good thing, right? That's the right thing. But the whole time she's just telling me how big of a jerk I am while she's on her cell phone li live tweeting my response. That literally would never happen because she is absolutely incredible and would never do that. But that would be doing the right thing, quality time, the wrong way. But when the right thing is done the right way, there's something magical that happens. It's comforting. It brings peace. It brings light into the darkness. When Maddie does the right thing the right way, I feel loved and cared for. And if you look back at our passage this morning, we see Jesus doing the right thing the right way. Yes, he's on a journey to bring light into darkness, and his journey will bring about this incredible revolution against sin, death, and darkness, but he is not just doing a bunch of right things. Jesus is doing the right things the right way. On his journey, he is perfectly fulfilling God's promises along the way of bringing light into the darkness. Matthew 4 12 through 17 is showing us that we have the right man at the right time for the right job. Jesus comes out of the desert with all of this power and purpose. He is on a journey, and that journey will eventually lead him to the cross where he will be crucified to pay the debt of our sin. He will rise from the grave victorious, defeating sin, death, and darkness, all the while doing the right thing the right way. And his invitation for us this morning is found in verse 17. To repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Quickly, imagine with me, there is a fresh covering of snow. And in that fresh covering of snow, there's this singular set of footsteps. These footsteps are the footsteps of Jesus. They're the footsteps of doing the right thing the right way. And our job is to follow in those footsteps. If we veer off from that path, repenting is returning to that path of Jesus. Doing the right things the right way means following in the footsteps of Jesus. Doing the right things the right way because he has made us right with God. The footsteps of Jesus lead us to the presence of God. They're the footsteps that bring 
light into the darkness. They are the footsteps that give us peace. So consider your own journey. Are you following in the footsteps of Jesus? Or are you trying to blaze your own path? And if you have stepped out on your own, then your call is to repent, to go back, walk in the footsteps of Jesus and do the right thing the right way. Not because you can get right with God, but because Jesus has already walked that path for you. So let us repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let us follow Jesus and do the right things the right way because he has made us right with God. All of us are on a journey. And instead of asking God, are we there yet? Instead, let us look to Jesus and do the right thing the right way. Two wrongs don't make a right. The two, the two rights of Jesus has made us right with God. Let me pray. Father, what good news it is that you have given us your son, that he has done the right things the right way to make us right with you. And Lord, as we just think about our journey and we think about all of the prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled, um, would that just be good news for our souls? And as we imagine the path that we are walking, the journey that we are walking, uh, would we just be very quick as a people to repent and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So Lord, I pray um, that for the very first time there would be people in this room who would repent, who would quit trying to blaze their own trail, but would actually follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that they would trust the footsteps of Jesus and trust that they lead to the perfect promises that you have made. So Father, would you call us into repentance and would you show us the right thing to do? And that is to follow your son, Jesus. And we pray this in the name that leads us. And amen.